Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 266. My name's Terry Frost and I'm through procrastinating about doing the podcast. And this is a very special episode, not in the sense of, you know, one of the children in the series gets molested by a teacher or something like that, but it's a very special episode because I have a guest and that guest is socially distanced, of course, Ben Buckingham, who did a podcast once himself back in the day, but uh, has since gone on to do better things. He worked in the film industry and he's also worked in cinema. So we have a long chat about pretty much everything. Uh, everything we say in this very long podcast is allegedly and that we mean no distress or discomfort or disservice to anybody mentioned during our long and quite rambling chat. So I'll get things started. Uh, I apologize again for the delays. I've, I've really kind of been working through being basically blocked um, psychologically from podcasting, but I'm back in it now and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to do it regularly uh, and I'm going to enjoy it still, but I probably will get a lot more guests on than I've had before, which is exciting and scary, but ultimately it will be rewarding. So anyway, here's Ben and I having a chat um, last weekend and just shooting the shit. But before I do that, here are the contact details. Paleo Cinema Podcast is a podcast about old movies. There is one rule only. The movies have to be more than 20 years old. They can be any genre. I'm looking at classics. I'm looking at hidden gems. I'm looking at interesting films. So if you'd like to give feedback, that'd be great. The feedback can be done via email to feedbackpaleo at gmail.com. You can also friend me up on the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. Also, if you're an incredibly generous person, you can support the podcast via Patreon at patreon.com slash paleocinema. Just be aware that this podcast may involve adult concepts and a bit of swearing, so just don't listen to it on speaker when the kids are around. Anyway, thank you for your patience, and I'm glad that we're back into it. And this time around, I've got a guest to help me carry the load, and it's Ben Buckingham. How you doing, Ben? I am doing pretty good, thanks, Terry. I think you're forgiven for not recording for a little while. I think there's been a little thing called a pandemic going on. Yeah, but I've been at home for that, so there's no excuse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll make the pandemic the excuse. Yeah, we're going to blame it on the Rona. Um, but I have been doing a ton of YouTube, so that kind of people know I haven't actually been not doing anything. But anyway, yeah, so. Um, Thanks a lot for doing this, mate, because I, I really want to get back in, but I want to get guests on to do this now because I've got, the, I'm doing two or three YouTube videos a week. I'm doing the radio gig on Wednesday nights. And so um, for the podcast, I really need to do more than just my voice. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. I've, I've, I've personally have been cramming heaps of amazing cinema, but it has been a little difficult to process that into something tangible mm -hmm. so i think we're all kind of going through that weirdness at the moment so yeah no i think it's great to like actually be like hey yeah i've been watching something as well and talk to somebody about that because you know we're all being a bit like isolated <laughs> Shit, i just realized this is only the third podcast of the year well uh, I'm, I'm feeling I, worse now i'm feeling totally fucking worse for that 
I time is a uh, round circle or flat circle or something like that, and is a not in existent anything for anybody anymore. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, times a trip, like Captain Cloud said in Get Crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Captain Cloud and the Rainbow Telegraph. I, and Alan Garfield died, so this is not the link here. Oh man, I, 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 the, 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 actually the weirdest thing about the everything that's been going on is that the only thing that changed for me is I didn't drive to work. Okay. I haven't, I haven't been working, but because being a night shift worker in post production television, uh, everything's closed when I'm awake and I don't see anybody anyway. So yeah. <laughs> this whole year has been like, yeah, no, welcome to my world, not knowing what time is or what year it is or what anything is. <laughs> Look, I've worked night shift. I did five years of night shift myself. I, I've done day shift. You exactly I, know yeah, that. I, I, know, I know this stuff. You know, we used to go, I was working at the GPO in Sydney. Back in the day, you know, like sorting mail and stuff. Yeah. And we'd like nick out for a lunch break and go down to the basement and listen to a couple of sets of jazz and then come back from lunch in the <laughs> middle of the night for free because it was the last <laughs> set of the night. So, yeah, it, it, it gets you on a different headspace. It makes your skin a lot paler if you're Caucasian. And Oh, well, yeah, I, I was used to taking my vitamin D and my zinc and everything to get my immunity up already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so anyway... This year since the podcast, the world has changed, particularly cinema. Yeah, it's it's curious. I I I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a huge letterboxed addict, mm. and uh, every time I pull up my 2020 stats, I've like I've seen three things that came out in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I got the same way. Let's see, I've got 109 movies I watched, but I may have missed some, and also did a lot of series and a lot of YouTube one-offs and things like that. So it's not quite cinema anymore that we're talking about. It's it's everything bulked together. Yeah, well, that, of the three things that I saw that were released in 2020, one of them is The Weekends, a uh, little short movie slash music videos. So I've really only seen two movies that came out in 2020. <laughs> yeah, but then I'd never watched more recent movies above Older movies, I'm kind of backfilling the older movies as well. Oh, uh, Terry, I'm I, I'm I'm definitely sinking, sinking, rising, doing more and more of that. When 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 everybody was uh, freaking out over, oh my God, is Australia's internet's going to collapse? I just hugged my VHS and Blu-ray collection and said, "We will be fine, baby." <laughs> yeah, well, I'm lucky. I got a decent M, um, MBN connection with fiber optic cable to the house. Yeah. So basically, you t- both of us are watching Netflix in high definition and not worrying about it. Yeah, I, 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 I was like, my first week was like, okay, these are the couple of series that I've been meaning to watch for like a couple of years. I'm going to cram those in in the first week, yeah, and then right. after that, we're all Blu-ray, we're all DVD, we're all VHS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got, to, I've been doing a lot of Blu-ray lately, uh, and uh, I just finished recording the next two YouTube videos because I do them back to back. I'm trying to take all of the good information, the good ways of managing workloads from TV series where you film a whole bunch of episodes at once and then uh, <laughs> release them ge- gradually. Yeah. So uh, I actually just finished recording two of them. Um, one's about Village of the Damned and Children of the Damned. Yeah. And the other one's about the colour out of space. So I'm not going to talk about those three movies because I've got a YouTube video coming out about them, but... I recommend all three of them. Is all I'm going to say about those three. I, I have to say, I, I 
I definitely recommend uh, uh, Children of the Damned and Colour Out of Space, but the only good thing I got out of Village of the Damned was a still of um, Mark Hamill with a shotgun pressed to his mouth. I'm talking about the original <laughs> 1960. I'm not going with the um, the John Carpenter one, which I think, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for John Carpenter. I've got a hell of a lot of respect for John Carpenter. Absolutely one of the but best. But I think it was <laughs> ill-considered because yes. the original is just so much of its time and so much of the home counties, England, 1950s, um, mise-en-scene and, and lifestyle and everything else, yeah. that taking it out of that context just doesn't work. It, it's no. like putting a, a fish on a mountaintop. Exactly. Yeah. But Mark Hamill with a shotgun pressed to his uh, head is an everlasting still image and is an, an accurate response to every Star Wars discussion. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got to, um, that, we'll hold that thought. For a bit later on when I talk about what I've been watching. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm, we're going to have words, basically, just that little bit later. But, um, I miss going to the cinema. I, I really do miss sitting in a flesh and blood flea pit and oh. waiting for the lights to come down. I even miss the stupid fucking commercials they put on for 20 minutes beforehand. <laughs> well, I, actually, it's funny you say that, those two together, because um, I worked at Cinema Nova for those Melbourne listeners uh, for like five years, yeah. and uh, the, the only time I've been to Cinema Nova this year, I discovered that they had uh, raised my lasting legacy to the to, to this, this state of cinema, because okay. I, I, I was uh, the person who was responsible for creating the uh, turn your mobile phone off (laughs) (laughs) slide that played beforehand. And I had numerous people bring that up because it was very dramatic. (laughs) No, that's fine. Cinema Nova is where I actually met Peter Fonda (laughs) when he was doing Yuli's Gold back in about 98. He um, came and did a Q&A and um, got to meet him afterwards because I was doing reviews then for a web page. And he's a lovely, you know, courteous old hippie guy. Yeah, absolutely. I bet he was. Yeah, it's funny because last weekend I, I finally got around to watching The Hunter. And this is the funny thing when you work you work at the uh, cinema, you quite often don't watch the films that are showing because you get to see them for free. But that means going to work when you're not working. <laughs> so you do see a lot of random odd things, but then sometimes you get something like The Hunter and you're like, I really want to see that film, the Willem Dafoe film that was shot in Tasmania. You really want to see that film, but you're just like, I just I don't want to go to work to this week. <laughs> no, I totally understand it, yeah. So I, I actually watched Which is it. why I never work at a cinema, yeah. Exactly, yeah, it's definitely for the better. That's why I laughed when you said you'd missed the cinema, because I, after almost 10 years of working in various cinemas, I still don't really miss cinemas. Um, but uh, I, I was watching The Hunter last weekend, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that time I was standing down the other end of a corridor while Willem Dafoe walked through it. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get that stuff. The only other big celebrity I've met, and this is my to my eternal shame, is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> he was okay. directing I, I, a film at the time too called um, Albino Alligator. Oh, I remember Albino Alligator. And he he does a presser. This is before he got all the Oscar noms of that. Yeah, that's a so lot. So he's doing a presser in the basement of the Melbourne Town Hall. <laughs> in one of those smaller rooms in the basement where they put the bad comedians during the comedy festival. <laughs> and um, he's down there and there's like six people from the press going, because, you know, the second-rate American actor nobody knows yep. directs a movie. And so he just chatted with everybody. Enormous well, fucking head on that guy. Oh, I have no doubt. He's about twice the size of a human head. 
and um, there was a creepy vibe about it. Not just that, you know, celebrity thing you get when you see someone famous and you kind of get that stunned sense of wow. But there was something deeply creepy about him at the time. Well, I, I think this is the appropriate time to say that I once shook Jeffrey Rush's hand and it was the <laughs> softest hand I have ever felt in my life. Hasn't done a day's <laughs> work in his life. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it, it was it was one of the absolute most bizarre situations I've ever experienced because I used to uh, uh, help moderate uh, an event at uh, ACME, the Australian Centre for the Moving yeah. Image here in Melbourne called Friday on My Mind, where we'd have local uh, movie and television personalities come in and do an hour Q&A um, and standing there, and we'd had um, uh, Greg McLean on, the director of Wolf Creek. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd re- just done Wolf Creek 2, the series, and had Jungle about to come out. And afterwards, we're standing out of the Acme bar having a drink, and Greg McLean is standing opposite me. Um, James, oh, I forget his last name. They used to run the, the Melbourne International Film Festival standing to the left of me, yeah. who was the host who did the, the, the interviews. And we're just chatting away. And Jeffrey Rush walks past and James goes, oh, oh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. And Jeffrey Rush comes over. I'm standing opposite Greg McLean. And James and Jeffrey immediately launch into talking about French real estate. He's like, oh, Jeffrey, did, did you did you end up purchasing that uh, that apartment in Paris? Blah, 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 blah. And, and Greg McLean and I both look at each other. We look at James. We look at Jeffrey Rush. And we look at each other and be like, yeah, nah. <laughs> We're out of this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a good way to exclude people without physical excluding them yeah. yeah yeah they were both lovely they're both awesome and uh i jeffrey was very nice and james is great and, but we were just like nah even even you even just think like greg mclean's worked with you know james gunn and all these amazing daniel radcliffe and everything and, and we just looked at each other and we're like yeah nah <laughs> we're out <laughs> no, fair enough too. so um i have heard some uh, apart from the the court case things i have heard some disturbing things about mr rush which i won't go into yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I, I most of the things that I'd heard were not that were not great were from male actors. Okay, which in retrospect and even at the time felt a lot like jealousy. Yeah, and so I tend to take everything in relation to Jeffrey Rush with a pinch of salt. Mm. Um, some of the like, there's a bit like David Attenborough. People are talking about how wonderful David Attenborough is as an environmentalist. Mm. And he came out for a book tour that I was kind of vaguely involved with, uh, one of the publishing companies, and they wouldn't let young women go anywhere near him. Yeah. Because he was grabby. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, there's a couple of things I could talk about in relation to certain people who have been in court cases yeah, recently yeah. Uh, from behind-the-scenes stuff, and I probably shouldn't. Uh, well, let's, let's, <laughs> this is a podcast with 300 people listening to it. Just drop it all. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, the whole Craig McLaughlin thing, that was, that, that, as I said, like the, the Jeffrey stuff, was, Jeffrey Rush stuff was uh i i felt like there was definitely uh there if there was anything to it it mm-hmm. was pretty minimal from what my experience was limited as it was 
But when the Craig McLaughlin stuff came up, I was like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because yeah. I had seen some stuff behind the scenes that was just like, yeah, he was definitely writing some kind of line, and I'm sure he crossed it many times. So yeah. let's just leave it at that. Basically, rich celebrities <laughs> are bastards. We'll just... We'll just set it there. Can we I mean, drop? The, can we drop the celebrities part out of it and just say rich people are bastards? Yeah, rich, rich, people, rich people are total bastards. And if there are any rich people listening to the podcast, throw some money at my Patreon, you cheap fuckers. Yeah, so it, it, it will, we might let you off if you give Terry some money. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell people you're a nice person if you if you throw, you know, like I'd be I'd be happy with you know three figures. <laughs> I'm not greedy. I'm not kind of malicious. Oh, I did. I did. I did. I'll one of your fucking movies. You know? I I did want to tweet like, has any actual like Australian millionaires donated any money or done anything in the last three months? Because I, I'm 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 pretty active on Twitter, being an angry, mm. politically posting person, and I can't think of. Any, so yeah, no, I, I, they can all get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Q&A's not putting me on the screen anymore. Oh. Here I am doing the wittiest shit I know, <laughs> and, and the wittiest <laughs> comebacks to some of the most egregiously monstrous politicians in the country. And they won't put my tweets on the screen anymore, and they put some kind of bland person, some bland Karen from the North Shore of Sydney. I'm, I'm sure if you, if you bumped into Ida Butters, he'd be like, I know you, Terry. You've been blacklisted. Yeah, it would surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, one of the, the those I'm great. I'm gonna wait out. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say too much because I do the gig on ABC Darwin. So Sorry, cut, cut that bit listen, out. Cut to be honest out. with you, everybody I've dealt with at the ABC, from the top to the bottom. Yeah. And this is, you know, not blowing smoke or anything. They've been marvelous. They've been professional. They've oh. been funny. They've been wonderful lefties. I have so always to my advantage, and they've been helpful in what I do. I mean, I help them out because I give them the half an hour of content, and they're doing like five hours a day for five days a week. Yeah, yeah, I have absolutely sometimes no without doubt. a producer. Well, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, because well, I also have a, a periphery relationship with ABC, being a because of my night shift job is working in television post production, but okay. the, uh, the company you I work. Hmm. You're doing McCarthy. I no 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 we we do uh, we primarily do narrative TV okay, okay. and we're a, we're an independent company so various um we don't do everything we just do have various shows from time to time so I've worked for ABC a couple of times and but it, it, it is funny because until the tech jump recently where most of the uh, TV stations jumped to doing 4K. Um, the ABC primarily shot on a camera that used S by S cards, if that means anybody to our listeners. Yeah. Uh, it means anything to our listeners. And, uh, there was, it was about three years of like the same dodgy, damaged 32 gigabyte S by S cards coming around. And it was almost like meeting an old friend every time I did an ABC. So like, oh, I recognize this card and those scratches and those dents and those chunks missing from it. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, you guys have not had any money to upgrade your equipment in a, a good long time. <laughs> they, did, they did used to, I mean, this is years ago. They used to have this thing in ABC Darwin whereby agreement they had to upgrade the sound equipment at abc radio in darwin mm. every two or three years because the technology's changed they needed to go digital they need to upgrade the bit rates of the digital so that they yep. can stream it and all this other stuff 
So what they'd have to do is they'd have to put all of the mixes and everything else, all this beautiful high-tech stuff, which would be fantastic for podcasting, mics, headphones, a lot, into a skip out the back of the ABC, inside the <laughs> compound, but, you know, <laughs> out the back. So what had happened is they'd have to drag all this shit out the back, and then they'd go around to where their car was parked on the street, back their car up, and load all this <laughs> shit to take home. They couldn't actually do it directly. You had to do it indirectly. Not, not in television. In television, everything got worn into the ground. <laughs> the ABC radio people had the best sound systems in the fucking Northern Territory. <laughs> well, it's, I, 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 was, I worked on Wentworth, uh, what, what was it, season seven, I think? And, uh, they would, they, the Wentworth suits all on site, which is quite unusual for most uh, Australian television shows. So the, the, uh, Wentworth is actually shot in a, an old, um, no longer used university campus somewhere in Melbourne. I won't reveal where. Yeah. Uh, and so, they do everything out of that university campus because they've got this huge building and they have everything they need. And so most of my work when doing television post-production, I'm a data cine technician or whatever other term you want to use, but I run rushes overnight. Uh, they, uh, they did that on site, which is very unusual. So when I did Wentworth, I was like spent my entire time in this very, uh, a, a 70s abandoned university campus slash prison because they'd converted half of it into a prison and like you'd open my door and that would be part of the set <laughs> and I was working out of a tiny little old like probably a stationary cupboard back in the day and uh, uh that that was oh, such a surreal and bizarre experience that when you're like walking out into a prison every day and it's university and an old university and I, I never had the best experience at school or university so <laughs> it felt a bit like the universe was laughing at me saying like you can't escape and this is what you knew you know it was always like this <laughs> it's like um when Branner made Henry V yeah they had to do the Battle of Agincourt, and they had a big field, you know, it was muddy and, and horses and arrows everywhere and all that. Yep. I saw the making of video, and if you cut to the other angle, the other way around, there's a bloody housing estate about 50 metres away. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cinema. It's a, the magic of cinema. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, well, I, I, because the, the, the reason I think of this is because uh, Wentworth is, it was actually, like, a lot of Australia, people don't realise how, low budget a lot of australian television is that is it and I, I, I hesitate to use the word low budget because i don't want to say like it's frugal. cheap or anything yeah it's frugal they they really like they're, they're quite amazing really and i think that's why a lot of the americans come over here and go hell yeah let's keep making films here because we know how to make the dollar stretch and so the reason why I think of this in relation to Wentworth and what we were talking about the ABC was that normally I work out of a very nice office and we have numerous computers of very high power and I, I, I can do about three different tasks at once on different computers. But Wentworth for post-production only had one computer and it had to do all of the ingesting, all of the rendering, all of the backing up on one computer. Rendering well, is my bugbear at the moment because i've got a decent laptop yeah just rendering the 4k video i do 
Oh That's yeah. Frustrating. Hey, you should try rendering some 8K sometime, mate. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd need to buy a desktop. I can't afford to get a desktop. You know, something with an enormous cooler and a GPU the size of a well, know, Ford engine. Yeah. When I worked in Wentworth, it wasn't 4K. It was just that it was it was only just moderately 2K, mm. and so I would just like get it ingesting and get it backing up at the same time, and then I would just wander out onto the university property, which had a lot of lovely old gum trees and was fairly abandoned, and I would just go and collect all of the dropped litter of trees and gum trees and things in bags because I've got a fireplace at home. Yeah. So I would be like. It was there's only one time anybody ever caught me and there was a couple of the, the, the art department guys were like loading up a truck and they looked over and I'm shoving a bag full of <laughs> wood and we looked at each other and just kind of nodded and went about our business. And that was how I spent uh, a portion of autumn, winter uh, two years ago was just like filling bags of wood while waiting for Wentworth to <laughs> upload. <laughs> Yeah, so anybody listening, if you if it sounds like I'm smacking my lips a lot, it, it's not. Please don't uh, bitch about me having a wet mouth. It's, it's the crackling in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So basically, um, future of cinema, I don't think it'll be the same. Um, my theory is because of the needs of social distancing and the fact that America has not got its shit together and they're heading for 100,000 dead at the moment, I'm I think it's going to be million, very different. But- I'm predicting a million. So that's where uh, I stand. I, look, it's it's been I, 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 the point I always make to people after working ten years in cinema is that at least here in Melbourne, the, all the people who run the Melbourne cinemas have been running them longer than Putin has been in power. Yeah, and. It's a very specific point I make there that it's 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 it that there's a lot of good people running cinemas, but they've been running those cinemas longer than Putin's been in power. Yeah. That's longer than a dictator has been running a country. So it's 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 very hard for them to shift and change mm. and they hire new people but they they're still the same people hiring those new people and yeah, it, which it, is it, why it, getting people into like getting zach hepburn into the astor mm. was a good idea because he had new ideas well yeah as you know terry I, I i was in that um that first year i i as i said i, I used to work at cinema nova and then when zach took over the astor he's an old friend of mine and so he headhunted me to come over to the Astor and work with him. So I spent like, uh, I worked there for about 10 months and the first year the palace was running it. I was literally in there be- moving carpet and old wood and everything before we opened and getting dirty and all the, the shifts and changes. And yeah. uh, one of the, the great surreal moments of my life was, uh, when I first met, uh, Morris. So I, have you heard Morris on before? I think you um, yeah, Morris and I um, have coffee dates in the city when I got to get in there before the Rona. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Good. We were meant to have a barbecue a long time ago, but me yeah. with my crazy night shift and ill health missed it. Mm. But uh, I wasn't sure if you'd had him on the podcast or not. But uh, that was actually how I first met Morris was at the l- very literal last screening of. 2001 A Space Odyssey in 70mm um, at the Astor when it was still closing. Yeah. And it was so surreal because I was sitting 
in the middle and Zach was to the left of me and Morris was the, to the right of me. And I couldn't tell uh, Morris anything about what was happening, but we already knew that Zach was taking over and he was running. And we were sitting in a cinema of 700, 800 people who were literally all having the conversation of being, <laughs> what is going to happen to the Astor? Who's going to run it? And Zach and I just looking at each other like, what? This is this is bizarre. Yeah. Like, we are. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So I, I went and saw 2001 at the Astor back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I'll I tell you, okay, I'm up on the balcony area. You know, I'm kind of up there and fairly front. I think it was front row in the balcony. Yeah, I've I've done both. I've done yeah. downstairs and upstairs, yeah. and they are very different experiences. But you're gonna hate me for this one. Because yeah. we get to the bit, you know, where he's going to fetch his mate's body that's yeah. been cast out into space. Yeah. I reached for the remote control to fast forward through that bit while I was in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> It was just so bloody slow. It was worse than Antonioni. It was. <laughs> oh, oh, you're, you're stabbing me to my heart here. I love Antonioni. I, this brings us around to, uh, to, to what we've been watching because unlike most people, like, see, I've seen so many people on Instagram and Twitter that are just like, I need, vapid i need like light i need reliable i need to be not thinking about anything the pandemic hit and lockdown happened and i went and dug out all of the like two to three hour european weird obscure experimental or classic films and was like this is the time (laughs) okay so what we'll do is you do one and i'll do the next one and we'll kind of alternate until we run out of films well, I haven't. Oh, dude, geez, we could go for a while on what I've been watching. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I haven't done a podcast for three months, so I can, I've got a ton of shit. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I did like nine Chantel, uh, Chantel Ackerman films in like four days, a week. So you know, that's uh, a lot of hours of cinema. <laughs> but uh the, that that was uh being someone who works in television you know you you watching two to seven hours of footage a night mm. and it even like we don't work with sound so i'm just watching and i listen to podcasts while i uh work so i'm basically absorbing a huge amount of information and data even if i'm half switched off while doing it and not particularly paying attention and it really makes you realize well a that you're getting old because over four years i definitely wasn't uh as switched on to paying attention as i used to be in regards to the podcasts and stuff but you you get home and you you know it's like four a.m. or something. And you're someone like me who doesn't sleep, and you've already absorbed like two or three or four movies worth of information visually. Yeah. And you just end up watching, and this is not to like knock them or anything, but I'm a huge Vinegar Syndrome fan, yeah. and you end up <laughs> watching uh, a lot of random, bizarre Vinegar Syndrome films or TV movies that have been uploaded to YouTube or just random kind of oddball ephemera that can still be like five-star amazing cinema, yeah. but it definitely has a has a... a, a a lower quotient of data. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what the first one I've been watching, and, and this is old school shit, of course. 19, let's see, which year was it? 1954. Mm-hmm. Hivero starring Fernando Lamas, Rhonda Fleming, and Brian Keith. 
Wow. Which was actually hard. originally made in 3D <laughs> and filmed in Los Angeles, of course. Um, it's really weird. You know, basically they're getting attacked by headhunters with shrunken heads and Fernando Lamas takes his shirt off and Rita Moreno turns up as one of the native girls. It's, um, it's one of those weird 1950s adventure films yeah two-fisted blokey adventure films yeah with beautiful women in it but it's beautiful in technicolor yeah and, and they keep throwing shit at the screen because it was meant to be made in 3d so you get like 300 different spears chucked at the screen by character actors <laughs> and extras. Well, I, I, I i'll i'll out myself and not only am i uh, an antonioni fan i am also a lover of prometheus <laughs> this god film <laughs> But I remember like watching that, and it was that, and um, what was the 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 Wim Wenders film? I think it was Wim Wenders. It was about the dancer. Uh, oh, I've gone a complete blank now. Um, but it was though. Hmm. Let me see what I can find. Yeah, have a look it up. Um, and we had that 3D at Cinema Nova, and that was the first two 3D films that I had seen that use depth of space rather yeah. than throwing things at the screen. I like throwing things at the screen. I think. Pina. I, I think it was, was, I think it was called Pina. Yeah. It was about uh, the dancer and she passed away not long before. And the way they oh, used, yeah. they had this, inc- the thing that always stuck with me, they had this incredible dance sequence that was at an intersection of crossroads and the, just that depth of space, and like, yeah, no, you're throwing things at screens is great, but that it, it's like it took, you know, yeah, we were making 3D. Elizabeth, the technology was a lot more limited in the 50s, but we were making 3D films for 50 years on and off, and nobody went, oh wait a minute, 3D can be the internal space rather than the external space. And that was a big part of, for me, of, of the love of um, Pino and, and also for um, um, Prometheus was just that, I don't know, you, you can use 3D to make the world seem limitless within the screen rather than coming out at you. And that was such, that was, that was the point where I was like, okay, you yeah, know, I'm okay with 3D because, you know, oh my God, one of the most exhausting things about being alive in the last 10 years of cinema is listening to the constant conversation of what is and not worthwhile in cinema on Twitter and it's a sort of social medias. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, no, no, 3D is good, but it's 3D is best when it's all about going into the screen rather than out of the screen. But again, also having said that, there is a lot of fun watching a 3D film that's not in 3D when they're constantly poking things at you like Friday the 13th. Yeah, it's it's like watching Kiss Me Kate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, um, I mean, I can do, you know, I don't mind if 3D didn't exist, it wouldn't particularly affect me too much because uh, I, I saw a lot of blockbuster films. I think I saw a couple of the Avengers films in 3D. Yeah. And it added nothing. Yeah. Apart from the fact that I had to change where my eyes were focusing in yeah. a way that they intended rather than the way I intended as an audience member. So it was a bit to lead your attention to this bit. Yeah. The way they were doing it there. And I didn't like that. I like my eyes to roam around the screen and I can see some extra who's looking at the camera and all that other weird shit that you pick up tangentially <laughs> from the main narrative, yeah. Well, yeah, that, uh, the, the, I, I actually, uh, as a, a, 
I haven't watched a lot of TV in many years because of working in TV. And part of my job is just staring at the raw footage and looking for boom dips and <laughs> camera reflections and yeah. all those sort of things. And there is, I, I can't quite explain it, but I was watching some TV shows recently and it is different. I don't know what it is. Like I can watch movies endlessly and still be a movie a kino eye person, a cinephile, and then I watch TV and I can see all the stitches and I can see, oh, they shot these scenes on the same day because it's that set and there are things like that. Yeah. And I, 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 every now and then I just hate myself for being like, oh, there's a bigger boom dip. There's a, oh, I can see the, the, the boom pole reflected there or, oh, there's someone. And you just like, after four years of staring at that obsessively for hours every night, you can't help but like spot all that stuff. But I still absolutely hate the Internet Movie Database goof section. It's like, yeah. no, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll look up um... – the, the trivia is okay because there are bits and pieces that I don't yeah. have to look up in a reference book if I'm talking about it. So I find that useful. But the goof is just you know, people oh. who may be on the spectrum somewhere yeah. picking up every detail, yeah. and four or five of them will put it in the one bloody stream of data. Oh, there. my God. I, I, I've worked on two micro-budget films, and I'm just like, dude, piss off <laughs> we, that person had probably worked for like 16 hours yeah and they got the right that everything it was right about that except that one little detail and you can go to hell because they worked 16 hours for that and they yeah. probably had a bigger budget than a person and that brings up that budget. argument that every film was successful because they got it completed yeah so at a, at a baseline level every movie successful Oh, uh, even, even the other side of the wind eventually got released. And you talk to a lot of directors and they'll tell you that a film is never completed, that every time they go it's back, released. they would do more things. Yeah. <laughs> and George Lucas did, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I always remember, like, uh, Two Lane Blacktop, one of my all-time favourite films, and it has that amazing uh, moment towards the end where they're just driving and they just pull up and stop and, you know, the the... the the cameras attached to the side of the car filming the, the, the two lead actors in the front seats and they just pulled up and stopped at a completely random point and they just happened to capture through that window, I think it's a, the horse far off in the distance and like Monty Hellman, the, the director, was like that was purely accidental, we did not mean that at all and yet it works perfectly in the context thematically for the film yeah. and it's a beautiful shot and it's like that that's exactly it it's like you it, it, everything in cinema is deliberate except for all the accidents <laughs> there, i forget what i was watching but there's there was a scene where there was rain falling kind of on the edge of where the actor was sitting yeah and just as they got to the dramatic beats there were raindrops falling on the shoulder of his jacket mm-hmm. for the first time and it kind of enhanced the visuals there in a totally accidental way it's not something they could have planned there wasn't somebody there flicking water at him yeah, but it just kind of had a magic to it that came from that randomness. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's just, it. It is um, having worked in television a lot. There, like, there's a, there is a hell of a lot of good um, artists in television, but there, there, there is, you know, it, a lot of it is more about speed and hitting beats and getting to the point, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a couple of times I've I've worked on television shows that have had 
film or um, film directors or a film um, cinematographers, and there is a noticeable difference because it's it's not it's not as I said not a knock against the TV people, but yeah. when you're working in film there is more of an openness to those kind of variances and trying to find them. And whenever I've worked on something that has had film people more uh, integrated into the artistic process, you just like immediately you see that, that they're, they're, they're almost trying to like, They've, they've got the things that they want to do and you can see their brain working towards that. And you can also see that, that openness to trying to capture something variable and, you know, in the moment. And I, like I worked on the, on the Romper Stomper TV series yeah. and the first two episodes of that were directed by, um, Jeffrey Wright, who directed the original Romper Stomper. And that was the, I think the first, I, I remember that really specifically because that was the first TV show I'd worked on that had a film director. And just from day one, you were like, Oh, I, I can see his, like, it was almost like pulling open his brain mm. and looking at how it worked. Whereas a lot of TV directors, they just, you know, they, they'll get, they'll get, you know, three or four versions of the same thing. And it's just trying to get, the maximal version of that yeah and then you watch the film for film director doing that and they'll have three or four versions and you'll see the like almost like the rehearsal version and then you'll see them shift it and go okay no let's try it this way and you can see their brain process working as they try to get to the heart of the scene yeah and then that's where something where maybe they don't know where it's working and other times you'll see them just be like one take and it's like Mm. yep Knew what they wanted, got in there, got it, got out. And yeah, the um, Clint Eastwood version of filmmaking, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one end of the spectrum, the yeah. The William Bodine version of <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I, I used to do a little bit of reviewing uh, and was on Village Road Show's uh, invite list for the premieres, and I, I was at the... the, the uh, critic screening of American Sniper and uh, still oh. a, a review that I absolutely stand by to this day. If you're curious, you can look me up on Letterboxd, Dissolved Pet, and read my American Sniper review. Uh, I ripped that one to shreds with every inch of my seven years of university degree <laughs> and still got invited back to Village Roadshow screenings. And everyone was like, how the hell? Normally people get banned. I'm like, yeah, but I wrote it well. <laughs> that was like when I used to be on Universal's list when I was doing reviews. Yeah. And you talk to the people who were running the distribution for Universal Pictures at the UIP place in um, North Melbourne. Yeah. And they would go, yes, we're doing a lot of Adam Sandler movies at the moment, but they pay for those really nice art house films we want to release. Yeah. So they'll take the money and go, okay, well, we can now put a bit of a budget into giving something wonderful like Career Girls or something like that. Yeah, well, that, a little that, bit that, more oxygen, yeah. You know, it was, it was New Line Cinema was the house that Freddie built. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> there was a New Line Cinema wouldn't, well, it doesn't exist anymore, but it would never have existed if it wasn't for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, and there were some good things came out of that, some good, yeah, fun films. Exactly. So what's your next film? 
Oh man, like I said, take it. I, I, I like I said, I, I pulled out all of my uh, criterions, my Eureka Entertainment Masters of Cinema. I've, I've got my Fritz Langs and everything, and I just like, you know, who I love, and I have about twenty films of, and I have not watched any of them. Oh. Was uh, Rainier Fassbender. Okay. And I have watched literally 14 or 15 Rainier Fass, Rainier Werner Fassbender films, uh, in like two week period. That has got to fuck with your head. It was, r- yes. <laughs> yep, I pulled it. The, 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 more so because I was watching them being like, were these made yesterday? Uh, <laughs> these are so absolutely on point for like everything that is happening now and definitely the best one that i watched was uh the year of 13 moons or the year with 13 moons um that was uh, and and it it seems to be one that's been growing in appreciation it's i i I don't know if it has a blu-ray out there um I had an old DVD copy that I randomly found in an op shop in New South Wales years ago. Um, and that one is definitely the best of them, but I feel like that was actually the first one I watched of all of them, so I don't really feel like I can talk about it because it left me so shocked at how incredible it was. And there, there was one scene in it that... Oh, uh, this was... The, this was like, I, I, I had this, this in my first week... Um, I ended up being unemployed from the pandemic earlier than most people because I was working on a Netflix show. And I found out later that someone in, like, Croatia or wherever on The Witcher got uh, COVID, uh, like, the same week that we got canned. And so I think Netflix earlier than anybody went, oh, shit, and pulled the plug internationally, whereas a lot of other TV shows in Australia were kept running for, like, two or three weeks. Hang so, on a sec. Um, in a Year with 13 Moons, that's the title of the In a Year with 13 Moons, yeah. I, oh, my God. I've been watching so many, like, international films with, like, slight variations on ti- the title names, and they're just <laughs> doing my head in. Um but, uh, yeah, the, 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 so I've, I've been unemployed since like the first week of March and this is what, <laughs> May, end of May now. And the, literally the first day of my unemployment, I watched all 10 episodes of The Terror, uh, thinking that would be some nice escapism. And there was just like, oh my God, it's just a microcosm of now. <laughs> and then the next day I watched Dead A Year with 13 Moons or a Year of 13. Um, and there's a scene in it where a like the the lead character is trying to find someone they used to work with, and they go into this big uh, corporate office uh, building, and they're going to different floors trying to find them. And they go into this floor that's completely empty offices, mm. and they kind of sit down, and, and this person walks in and starts setting up a noose. And they have this big conversation about why he's killing himself and then he hangs himself. And then that the lead character goes up to another floor to try and keep finding this person and says to somebody, I, I, I just, I was in, I was down in like such and such floor and, and, and somebody hung themselves and they were like, Oh yes, well, that will happen. There's a lot of empty offices now. Yeah. And it was just like, <laughs> as I said, was this made yesterday? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, when I watched Contagion just after all the shit hit. 
Oh, you were one of those people. <laughs> I was one of those people. It's um, it's a bit like you know watching a horror movie on acid. You really don't want to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I watched it and it's amazingly prophetic because it followed the science. Yeah. And it, but it, the thing it underplayed was the stupidity of humanity. I everybody didn't predict that. <laughs> yeah. the, the the number of well, not necessarily the number of crazies, but the prominence on social media of crazies yeah. was underestimated. Yeah, they had Jude Law playing a blogger who was touting a fake cure the way um, Trump is now and things like that, but they kind of did underplay it. And it's um, it's a bit like, do you remember the movie The Siege with Bruce Willis in it? Yep. Where there's a terrorist attacks in New York, and this all happened before 9-11, and they were talking about the rule of law and what America won't do even though they're being attacked by terrorists, and then 9-11 happened and they did it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's like a, an almost slightly utopian and naive version of what really happened, and contagion is that. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, referring back to Vinegar Syndrome, the absolute absurdity of so many of those films doesn't seem like uh, so much absurdity anymore. On that kind of, like, weirdly prophetic aspect uh the, another film i watched was born in flames okay um the uh lizzie borden mm. uh feminist sci-fi underground yeah. film from the mid 80s and i had it on my like to i i i've i have it, one of the things about night shift is you have bad nights and you get on online shopping and you order a shit ton of dvds and blu-rays so i have I don't, that resembles me in some ways, yeah. Yep, yep. I, I don't have to watch piles. I have two to watch bookshelves. Yeah. Um, so that's been a big part of this year was like, fuck yeah, let's get this on. Uh, so I finally got around to watching Bored in Flames. And I was telling it, my mum's a big sci-fi uh, person, both in literature and cinema. And I was telling her, her about it a couple of days later. And I kept... Uh, Completely not meaning to, referring to it as a documentary instead of a sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> and that that the the Born in Flames does uh, uh do spoiler alert, switch off for the next five seconds. Uh, end with the uh, the twin towers being yeah. bombed, <laughs> and everything up to that point was like, yeah, this is now, this is now, this is now. Oh no, that's 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 20 years ago. <laughs> the, um, the Lone Gunman, the spin-off series from the X-Files, did a similar thing. Yeah, I've never well, got around to watching that because I had completely... One of the episodes has somebody planning to prank some planes into the World Trade Center. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, we, I, I watched uh, uh, Born Planes with my partner and she was just living with both just being like, yep. <laughs> yep. This, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be those prophetic things and, and it's kind of cool that, that it happens. I mean... A face in the crowd was prophetic in the same way, though the reality is much grimmer than that. Oh, I've, I've, I've been wanting to see that for so long. I, I've yeah. been waiting for them to do a Blu-ray release. Um, but I've even like the movie, po- I've got the poster as well. I've got a day bill of that, and I'm, it's one of my favourite day bills. Nice, nice, yeah, yeah. Well, even like you know Stephen King's original, um, you know, absolutely nothing to do with the film, The Running Man, mm. is like you read The Running Man, and that's just like. Yeah, why is well, yeah, well, we know why no one's remade it at this stage because September 11th because yeah. the Running Man would be it, it's so much a, it's just ahead of its time doesn't 
like I think it's still ahead of its time even now. Like we're still moving closer and closer toward what his original conception of the Running Man was. Yeah, it's um, yeah. The, there are so many cautionary tales we didn't just didn't listen to. Yeah, it's funny how we uh, don't pay attention to history, fact, or fiction. <laughs> Speaking of science fiction, while we're on the subject, I saw Lee Wanell's version of The Invisible Man, the twenty twenty one, with oh, yep. um, Elizabeth Moss in it. Don't spoil it. I haven't seen it yet. No, I'm not. I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it. But here's what I'm going to say: it talks to a lot of modern issues. Yep. abusive relationships and things like that. And it's Blumhouse. And I'm kind of interested in the way Blumhouse does things on a fairly slow budget and punches above the budget and punches above what you'd expect of somebody who spends like seven million bucks on a movie. And this one works and it's um, it's got the usual jump scares and it's got the creepy bits and it's got some stuff where Cecilia, the character played by Elizabeth Moss, is walking around the house where she's staying and then things move behind her character. Mm. They, they do a wide shot, and then something moves over yep. the other side of the screen. So they, they do this really nicely, um, and it's, it punches well for the ending. The ending is really apt, though it's not a Hollywood ending. Mm. But I recommend it. I, I don't think it's the best movie ever, but I think it's an honest film, and I think it's worth seeing for that. Uh, it's paced slower than a lot of... Um, other horror films mm. yeah and it lets you understand the character and understand what's going on and understand you you kind of understand the husband in the last scene more than you do in any other thing the the abusive husband and that kind of works yeah i i i, I the last film i the last time i went to the cinemas um my partner and i had been uh visiting breweries all day and were fairly fairly intoxicated, and we were the rare occasion that I went would go to uh, Melbourne Central to see a movie because fuck Billy Gentoids, um, and it was a choice between The Invisible Man and Birds of Prey, and we were like. Given our level of intoxication in the vodka bottle in pocket, let's go with Birds of Prey. <laughs> Birds of Prey was silly fun. Absolutely the right choice when you've been doing visiting breweries all day and you've got a vodka bottle in your pocket and you mix yeah. it with the frozen Coke that you purchased at the bar later. <laughs> and I love the way Birds of Prey, because it's written and directed, of course, by women. Yeah. It avoids that male gaze shit with all of the well, female characters in it. What had me sold on that was I saw someone tweeting saying, you know, it's made by women because someone hands, uh, a, a woman hands another woman a hairband in the middle of a fight scene. And I was just like, I don't need to know anything else about this film. I'm in. <laughs> Absolutely. That's like, I, the other, I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit here. Yep. I saw the, um, the remake of Heart, Charlie's Angels, the new one. Yep. And they've got to get some stuff from a woman who's a doctor in Turkey. Yep. And and in poor areas in Turkey. And so they bribe her with a truck full of sanitary products. (laughs) <laughs> because that's what women in that area need for their health. Yeah, I've, I've got a good contraceptives friend. and sanitary products. And they form a van with that shit. Yeah, give it to her. Oh. And every woman who sees it goes, yes. <laughs> I've got a good friend in Romania, and we, our conversations don't tend to lean towards that. But yeah, the, we we have it. Women have it very easy in Australia compared to a lot of uh, European nations. But uh, yeah, so it was a beautiful moment, and it was a. It was the right moment, and I was on board with the film in spite of certain sillinesses through it. 
I, I, because of that, it just landed for me because of that. Yeah, I, 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 I um, oh, what's it? What's her last name? Elizabeth, um, the director. Um, um Banks. Banks. Yes, I always yeah. go blank on her last name. I, 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 and it's it's ridiculous because I adore her. She is yep. incredible. Like her as an, I, I haven't seen any of her directorial efforts, which is a great shame on me. But um, uh, as an actress, she just. Uh, I, I 100% have stood by her for a very long time. Uh, we get Patrick Stewart in that one as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, that was actually sound mixed here in Melbourne. I don't know okay. why. Uh, the where I work is a sound studio um, downstairs, and you, you would just be like, you could just hear this like sounds like a thousand horses. One evening, you go like, "What are you working on today?" And I'm like, "Oh, Charlie's Angels remake." Like, wait, they made a Charlie's Angels remake? <laughs> it's light, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I. It, Look, the Bird's Prey was a curious one. Like, I, the the alcohol definitely helped. Yeah. Uh, I, I will give it that. Um, my biggest problem with it was, well, a like it it didn't really like it had great bad guys, but I didn't feel that it really served them their just desserts properly. It had yeah. a reasonably good ending, but it did kind of peter out. Well. Blowing you and McGregor in half wasn't good enough for you. That was okay, but um, <laughs> what's his name? The the guy, the serial killer, Mister Mister Zaz. Mister Zaz, like they blew Mister Zaz. Yeah. And 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 not in a vinegar syndrome way. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, but it was the my problem with Birds of Prey is you know when you just like you see a good film and is i know and when i say good film i mean american film uh, <laughs> and you see it after having seen other films that make you go fuck and you're like yeah that's fine but you can tell the studio was making them pull their punches yeah. the the two previous films i saw to seeing birds of prey were the night comes for us Timo Tianta film. Something like that. (laughs) My apologies, Timo. Um, Which was like, I watched that. uh, Perks of working in a post production house is their super fast NBN and their 4K, actual 4K TVs. (laughs) And I watched that at work on Netflix in 4K. And by the end of it, I was like in this weird position at the other end of the couch from going, oh, Oh, ah, Jesus Christ! Ow! <laughs> and you watch something like that, and it's like, I'm sorry. Even a really amazing action film is going to pale in comparison. It was like it took it took about two months before I stopped going. Yeah, but the night comes for us. <laughs> yeah. I watched it twice in a week because I made my girlfriend watch it, and she was like, "Yeah, <laughs> have you seen the night comes for us?" Not yet. Yeah. I, I just, oh. I'm writing it down to add to my list, so Dude, I'm learning here. The Netflix film, everyone out there, mm-hmm. watch it and make sure you've stretched beforehand because you will end up on the other end of the couch going, oh, my, fuck me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a horror film. It's just, quotation marks, just an action film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most people... I've got Nico Uwe's in it, so I'll be, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, I, I even just talk about it now. I want to watch it again. I regret making my housemate watch it on his own because I'd watch it with him when he gets home tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's, it is like top three. I, I, if I had to say like top three action films ever for me, it would be Mad Max Fury Road, The Night Comes for Us, and Punisher Warzone. 
Okay. I, I I know that's like a blasphemy for a lot of people because they're all new and shiny, but like those three films understand objects and bodies in yeah. ways that amazing older action films don't or yeah. build on what older action films have done. Time for a music break. of that um i saw terminator dark fate please tell me you're a fan yeah i liked it i, I looked three kick-ass women different generations different ages different body sizes i was to love I, I i i had a really great experience with that then that i was visiting my mom who lives up in the country and we watched it together in the cinema and it's a great mum film if your mum is into crazy sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Linda Hamilton kicking ass. You got there's nothing not to love about that. I was really surprised after what because I was I was like okay like the tra- um, the trailer yeah. is amazing. I watched the trailer. I actually I didn't even know it was in production. It was just one day on YouTube. It was like Terminator Fan. I was like what the Oh, this is going to suck because, you know, I saw Salvation in the cinema and, yeah. and wanted to, like, blow my... And then, actually, I did see... What was the the one, the one that I can't even remember the name of? The one with... The... Genesis or something like yeah. that? Yeah. I, I was like, oh, no, I did see that because I remember watching and thinking, I'm never going to remember that I saw this film. Um, <laughs> that was pretty much my only memory of it. And I, went, uh, I watched the trailer for Dark Fate and was like, I'm in. Oh man, this trailer is fucking sexy. I mean, but I've been burned yeah. on the, the Terminator Salvation trailer used the Nine Inch Nails track, so I was already burned on amazing Terminator 
trailers previously. But then I went and saw it, and I was like, oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, it works. This, it, it, it's, 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 uh, first of all, it's like, it recognizes that, and thank you for coming back, James Cameron. The direction, I'm watching it a second time, the direction didn't bother me as much. Like, I think it's a very competently directed film. Like, the first time was a bit like, eh, some of the action's a bit messy, but watching it on a smaller screen was like, no, actually, this is pretty well put together. But having James Cameron back on board writing was like, yeah, no, this was the problem. The Terminator films aren't about the war. They're not about the future. They're about now. They're about the characters too, yeah. Yeah, and it's like yeah. you, you, Terminator shouldn't be in the future after it's all happened. The Terminator films are about not letting that happen. Cancelling the apocalypse, as Idris Elba said. Exactly. So, like, bringing it back to now was like, yeah, no, it's 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 not about John. It's about her. Yeah. It's also not about the future, but then also, as I said, not about John. It's also the most amazing thing that it did and is so prescient for our contemporary 2020 existence. The film says, oh, no, it's no longer about the next generation and what happens afterwards. It's this generation. Yeah. It's our problem. It's our people. We've got to fix this shit. Yeah. Yeah. She, it's no longer like the mother. It's like, it's you. It's us. We are the ones who will be dealing with this. And it was just like, uh, that those two elements were like so disregarded by a lot of critics and reviewers. And I'm like, no, these, these, this is the absolute core of the film. Forget any of it. And then, and, and even while I was watching, it was like, oh yeah, okay. So it, it it does a lot of the beats of Terminator One and Two. You know, you got the big like car chuck chase scene, and you got this and that, and there's so many elements that are repeated. And I saw people attacking for it for that, and I was like, no, that's the point. Yeah. That, that that old thing that those who don't listen to don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. Mm. That's the thesis of the film. It That's is, and the thesis of the series in some ways. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, of course, everything isn't repeated because we didn't fix it. We, mm. we, we, we took care of the symptom and not the problem. And yeah. so, like, it was like this is actually like genius meta remake cinema because it's exactly <laughs> the point yeah. that we remake it because we haven't fixed it yet. We're still here. We're still doing this. We're still heading towards Judgment Day. Yeah. So of course everything's going to play out the same, only elevated. And mm. I was like, this is actually like this. This this film is severely underrated in how smart and clever it is. And I feel like. I, I, as I said, like the 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 direction is it's good, it's fine, there's nothing spectacular about it. I feel like if James Cameron had directed it, it would still be pretty much the same film, but people would have been like James Cameron lenses on. Well, I'm looking at it this way, but because it's the you know the guy who did Deadpool, they're like, oh yeah, but James Cameron wrote it, and we're just going to ignore it and everything else. And it was yeah. no, 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 no. It's still it's still all there, and it's like I. I also, like um, Battle Angel Alita, I would. Yeah, which uh, I liked. Yeah, I love that. I, yeah. I, I, weirdly enough, also I I saw that last year. I took my mum to see it for her birthday, and we were both in, we we were in the cinema with like 
there was only six other people in it. There was two lone guys in their, like, 60-plus sitting towards the front. There was my mum and I, and my mum's 70, and it was turned 70 that day, and this young couple off to the right. And I was like, well, those two guys are a little bit creepy. No offence, Terry. <laughs> That's okay, mate. I'm creepy at the best times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I do creepy real good. Um yeah. But the, the the young couple, you could tell that the 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 woman was a big fan of the Battle Angel Alita manga or comics or whatever, because you could just see her constantly being like pointing at the screen and going ah, and it was like okay, well clearly this is doing right by the fans. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was watching my mum just being like, the only problem with it is that. Just keep going for another two hours. Be a four and a half hour film. <laughs> yeah, but the economics don't work for the for no, the um, cinemas, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, I, I really, I hope that we do get a continuation. But it was like, wow, like this is I, I miss this about James Cameron that we ignore, or maybe maybe I, it, I think it was always present to a degree, but it's definitely come more now in his older age which is why we haven't seen as much because he hasn't made much mm. in his older age but the optimism yeah. and that, that was the, the like terminated for a film called dark fate it was the most optimistic film i've seen in years yeah. and battling the leader as well there was this this optimism i think, think cameron's working on those avatar movies that nobody wants ah uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm there for it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We all will be. Don't tell me you won't so, be. <laughs> watch your next lot of movies. Well, actually, can I, can I tell a little uh, behind-the-scenes yeah. James Cameron story just to be yeah, a defender of the arsehole? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I work with quite a few people who, who move backwards and forwards between New Zealand and Australia shooting, uh, working on post-production. And I worked with a fellow who was on, post, uh, on, on set post for Avatar, Mm-hmm. And he said James Cameron was a, a yelling, a, like constantly getting angry. Was you could hear him from the other side of the planet, just about for me, like. Ah, rah, 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 rah. And I was like, oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me, and it's a little disappointing. And then he was like, there was some big stuff up with like the camera or something, and one of the main like. I can't remember who it was specifically and probably better for the podcast that I don't remember, but uh, for, for history. But uh, he went to, like, chew this guy out because they'd seen in the dailies that something had gone very wrong, and he went to, like, just start chewing this guy out. Was, ah, and the, that person had brought his son to the set that day. Yeah. And as soon as, like, James started, ah, I need to talk, he was like, James, like, my son's here. Can we talk about it later? Mm-hmm. And James Cameron just looked at him and said, we'll talk about it tomorrow and left. And I was like, yeah, you're an asshole, but respect. Like yeah, you, 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 you could control it. You weren't just like doing it because you could. And I've heard stories of, from about plenty of directors who just spray everywhere no regard of anything but it was like okay we know you're a bit of a dick bag 
But it's probably a management tool he has in his his kit. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it is that is it, it is uh, fortunately a, 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 an older style of filmmaking that is falling by the wayside more and more. But it was yeah. just like, no, I, I I'm I'm thank you for telling me that story, and I'm grateful for it because you hear the bad stories. But that was just like, nah, don't shoot the guy out in front of his son. Like, don't do that. So many reasons of why not to do that. And I'm sure that the next day when they had that conversation, it was a lot cooler. And yeah. I was just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that because, you know, it's so many of the auteurs of 20th century cinema are controlling macho people and well like Bez Lerman. yeah yeah <laughs> i hear bad things about him as well yeah, yeah. um and then just to have that where it was like no you did that makes sense like it did it, it, it was just like yeah you 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 make you, you throw your weight around with your films and clearly you throw your weight around with your personality but you have that stop that like even you know as i said that was on the set of the avatar so that was he wasn't that much yeah. You know, it was more younger back then to, to be able to just be like, I'm not going to do this to you. I'm not going to do it to your son. I'm clearly like have an issue, but I'm going to deal with it in an appropriate way that isn't going to cause more damage. And I was like, OK, thank you. That's that's a cool story. I'm down with that. So absolutely. And uh, there's unusual stresses in doing that shit as well. Yeah. Oh man, I, 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 I've, I've worked, as I said, I worked on a couple of micro budget films and, and uh, there were, there was one I was working on last year and I did, I was working as assistant, first assistant director and I did end up stepping down because I had a lot of personal stresses and, and the last day that I was working, I did like snap at my director. Uh, I, 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 if you're listening, Paul, you still deserved it. But uh, I, after that day, I was like, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I can feel my own personal things are getting in the way here, and you need to be able to go look. Yeah. <laughs> working on a film with a budget is stressful. Working on a film with no budget is there's not even a word for that. It's called no budget. <laughs> I've got I've got a comfort film film recommendation for you. Yep. Yeah, because I've been I've discovered you know diving down the rabbit holes that I dive down. I've discovered the longest running comedy movie series of all time. Oh. Which is Japanese and it's called Otokawa Sorayo, or it's Tough Being a Man. <laughs> and they did 48 films between 1969 and 1995. With the same actor playing the same character. Wow. Yeah, a guy called Torasan, who's an itinerant traveling salesman. His um, family lives in Shibamata in Tokyo, and they run a um, sweet store. Yep. And he wanders around, and he's a brush, and and you know, goes against all of the social norms of Japanese society as it was at the time. And he falls in love with women who were way out of his league, and he's always romantically unhappy in every one of the movies. But he seems to heal the lives of everybody around him. Yeah. And it's like small, old budget, old school Japanese stuff. Yeah. And it works. You just, I've watched four of them and I've got all of them because I found a torrent because I'm not paying three grand for a series of movies. <laughs> and it's comfort movies because, yeah, each time Torosan is unhappy and he's noisy and stuff like that. But when he fucks up, he apologizes sincerely and he fixes it. Yeah. So there's a redemption arc in every single one of these bloody movies. 
with this character who's breaking social norms by being basically a, a an asshole. Yeah. But he's a redeem. He redeems himself when he realizes he's been an asshole in every one. And they travel all around Japan in different prefectures and different towns and cities all the way through the series. And you see his family grow up through the series and all that kind of thing. He's got a half-sister and a brother-in-law, and he managed to get them together when they weren't going to get married right in the first movie. (laughs) And you see the family grow up and the people grow older, and he gets advice from a Shinto priest who was played by the guy who played the father in Tokyo Story. Mm-hmm. And it's weirdly comfort films. It just, every, you, know, you can watch a Torosan movie and it just chills you the fuck out every time you watch it. It, it, I've, I've, my, when I started this year, I started off on a bit of an odd foot and I was watching a lot of New Zealand and Japanese films. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, I was watching a lot of New Zealand and Japanese films and I wasn't watching films that were the comfort film in the way that you're talking about, (laughs) but they were great. They were reinvigorating. Mm. It was like, it was, you know, I think a lot of Chinese cinema, even though it's so due to politics, is kind of antithetical to a lot of uh, American cinema. China is like America in its cinema. Yeah. And it's, I think, like, watching a lot of Japanese and New Zealand films together in a period were like, this is nourishing. Mm. It's like they understand how to use all of those kind of archetypes and genres and things, but they're human. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well the weird thing is you watch Torosan movies and you understand Japanese culture the old school Japanese culture yeah at a deep level it seeps into you and if you go to Shibamata in Tokyo which I hope to do in a year or two or three there's a statue of Torosan near the railway station <laughs> yeah well that and it's good luck to touch his right left foot yeah yeah well that that, that it, it's the uh the the, the it's funny because the, the the Japanese cinema I was watching the reason I got off to that start was uh the complete opposite it was uh i was doing um an episode of projection booth with mike white and i know yeah, you've yeah. been on projection booth previously and uh, will be again yeah and will be again and so will i I was actually recording an episode last night um and we kicked off this year by doing the horrors of malformed men by Turo Ishii. <laughs> Yeah. Which, as I said, antithetical. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I just like was cramming a whole bunch of Tororishi. and the later in his career you get, the more maniacal it becomes. Much to my pleasure, he's uh, if if those out there, um, he's um, his version of uh, uh, Japanese hell. What's the word? Ah, oh, my brain is just like not switched on during this pandemic. Um, well, also, you know, you've only just woken up, mate. Oh, I know, and I'm still a bit hungover, and I do. I, I haven't actually had breakfast, and I have poured myself some more whiskey. So, <laughs> yeah, you're doing all the things you shouldn't do, but that's okay. It's a Sunday <laughs> somewhere in the world, apparently here. Here, yeah. Here, <laughs> I just checked. Yes, it is Sunday. Um, but yeah, the 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 tour issue like watching his films it's like and you go back to his earlier films when he was working within the system more so and 
there's just this incredible humanity and he was making a lot of his earlier films before being the black and white era in the like the 50s um no, it wasn't necessarily the black and white era of the 50s, but you know, in the 50s when he was making films, he was doing quite a, n- a few noir style films, Ooh. and they were very much like they were very reminiscent of um, Jules Dassin's um, American noir oh. films, where they were very much like, yeah, we're set in this world of crime, but we're concentrating on these characters and the relationships of these characters. I'll look. I'll, I can give me a second to just look up. What the film was, it's 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 available on YouTube. Um, I saw it earlier in this year, but it, yeah, because when you get towards the end of his career, you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> but when you go back to those origins and you see these films, the 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 Japanese, like it it it's such they 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 it you know it it. Like we, we, most people, they come to Kurosawa is their main um, Akira Kurosawa's um, their main touch point for Japanese cinema, and it's like, oh yeah, there's you know there's so many bizarre weirdo nutcases. Like I'm yeah. a huge Mikke fan, but even like Mikke, like Kurosawa's not an odd one out. You know, we, we Kurosawa is the equivalent of like a Stanley Kubrick in regards yeah. to like pedestal elevation, but Stanley Kubrick is an odd one out in our cinema culture. Mm. Kurosawa is just like no, he just did it that well. Absolutely. You go to uh, so many other Japanese filmmakers. You even go to Mike, and you like yeah, there's films there where he's just like fuck everything and goes nuts but like i i watched blade of the immortal recently that he's a hundred film yeah i've seen that it's great oh my god i was almost in like tears by the end of it i was like I, but he also did children's fantasy movies yeah yeah it, i mean the, the mickey's oh, oeuvre is incredibly broad oh it's like anybody who's done if if, if if you're listening to this and you think mickey only makes one kind of film Go away. You're right, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right. But uh, I'll tell you one thing that I'm looking forward to with Japanese cinema. Yeah. Rebecca McLaren and I, who do the ABC radio gig, yep. I've convinced her we're going to do Tokyo Story for the radio. I've still never seen it. I have it on Blu-ray. It's on YouTube, mate. I've, uh, I've got, go with the Blu-ray. I've got the B- it is on YouTube. <laughs> I've got the BFI Blu-ray. I'm, yeah. You know, the only one of his films, and now I'm going to play blank. What's his name? The director of that? Tozu. Oh, yeah. The only one of his films I've seen is um that the one about the kid. Um, oh my god! I'm only just diving into. To, I did Tokyo Story, and I've got a few others I've picked up on Blu-ray. Yeah, I I I, I, it, I see. I'll, I'll, I'll now that you've told uh, you, you've you've told me, I will mm. make it before I go back to work and the pan, before everyone dies from the pandemic. I will watch it. Mm. Okay, so but uh, speaking of YouTube, Tura Ishi is a film called Flesh. Pier. <laughs> okay. Great. It sounds like a, a tourist you feel. Flesh Pier is in like jetty, like yeah. like P I E R. Uh nineteen fifty eight. It's on YouTube with subtitles. 
Uh, and the, the blurb is uh, in, oh, from Letterboxd is uh, uh, crime action film follows investigative adventures of an undercover cop working with a prostitution ring. It's done yeah. in a unique documentary style. I love these daft blurbs. Um, <laughs> but it, you watch that and, it, yeah, it, it is it is very noir, but it is, as I said, like much more in the Jules Dassin style where it feels like, oh, the person who made this lived in that world. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a lesser scene tour issue because almost anything other than a horizon malformed man is a lesser scene tour issue. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, you watch it and you'd be like, if you just approach it as being like, okay, this is a, a, a journeyman director just working within the Japanese system and it's got so much humanity in it and it really when i when i was doing how's mouth for men i'm really glad that was the first one of his that i delved into because uh, cause i had only seen that and sex and fury i think yeah, uh, i've seen sex and fury yeah sex and fury is amazing uh i i revisit but and even sex and fury was it, like flesh peer feel is one of those kind of films that like it it might be minor in itself, but it alters the way you see every one of the director's films after that. Yeah. That I, you're going to Sex and Fury because that it deals with the prostitution ring as well. It has that kind of connection. And watching Sex and Fury with its completely, like, over-the-top, ridiculous everything, it was like, oh, no, you made Flesh Pier, and you, I have that as my, my framework of interpretation now. And this film is totally grounded by Flesh Pier. Yeah, that's. I, I can I get that on a T-shirt. This film is grounded by flesh peer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the, the 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 film that I was I was trying to think of was the 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 Japanese hell film, which is the English translation. Oh, goddamn! Letterbox doesn't have the. Jukoku, uh, Jukoku. People can look it up. They've got Google. Yeah, yeah. Because there was there's a couple of films called J. Goku, um, which means you know, I'm, I'm totally I've, yeah, Jugoku. I think it's some kind of biscuit. Yeah, the, 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 there's a 1960 film called Jugoku: Sinners of Hell. Jugoku basically means like the, it's just the it's the Japanese hell, and it was one of Turuishi's last films when he was working in digital video and had no budget, and he was making some. He, he, he was like he was one of those people like. Uh, you know, even like um, um, oh, Doris Wishman, who just yeah. like kept working to the end of making weird, trashy exploitation, even when the she budget. She followed her dream, didn't she? Yeah. Exactly. And Tour yeah. she was clearly the same. Like, I read some interviews with him, and he was just like, I'm not alive if I'm not mm. filming. And Hey, I've got an idea. Yeah. Why don't we do a part two of this? Oh. Uh-huh. We could do it. So we'll, we'll give one more film each because I, I want to make it like an hour and a half, which is about where we've gone. <laughs> um, and then we'll do a part two when we both get together and knock this out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I, I think I've only talked about one film I actually watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've kind of got off at tangents, but then that tends to be the way the podcast works. Can I? So you go first and then I'll finish with the shit movie I saw yesterday. Okay. Can I? Okay. Um, what I want to say to people, if I only had one last breath to 
exert, which is exerting because I have a partially collapsed lung at the moment. You do, and thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, the weirdest association I had, and something that will stay with me forever, is that part of having all this free time and empty space, I, as I said, I dug out all of the European esoteric art, experimental everything films. I ended up digging into Chantal Ackerman. And when you were saying about like a, 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 a you know, what was the, what was the term you used? The, 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 the nourishing film, like, a, yeah, the comfort film, comfort part. film. Yeah. I did not expect Chantel Ackerman to be comfort cinema, and it may not be for anybody else. I would like to reiterate that I love Antonioni right now. <laughs> Anthony Onions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the, I, I, I had just here in hard copies the Criterion collection of her 70s cinema of their clip series, and uh, Jean Dillman, uh, was it? 32, uh, 23 Key to Commerce, 1080 Brussels. That one, yeah. yeah. I, I, I had that memorized two weeks ago. It disappeared since. Uh, oh, God, Wikipedia up. <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I was like, okay, we're doing this. I need to do Chantal Ackerman. And so I watched all that Eclipse series. Hotel Monterey in a pandemic, if you're feeling isolated and closed off, dig out, find Hotel Monterey. It's just like an hour of wandering around and watching elevators and people in this hotel. And it's like traveling and it's quiet and it's peaceful and just there's no sound. And it was good. It was really good in the past. That sounds a lot like one of the YouTube channels I follow, a guy called Rambalek. And all he does is wanders around the streets and, and countryside of Japan with a camera. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it's like I, I feel... I. I think if I hadn't watched it now, I wouldn't have liked it as much. But watching it in, like, you know, I, I live relatively near to a freeway, so there's always a bit of background drone noise. And when I watched in the pandemic when everything was really locked down and it was just quiet and I could hear magpies outside and things like that. And it was just, it was, it was nourishing. But, that's not the film I want to talk about because the weirdest connection I had in all of this was after watching Jean Dielman and I was I was like, Oh, this film this is this was like my apex film. It was like if I don't watch this during this lockdown, unemployed time, I'm never going to watch it. But at the same time, for those who don't know, it is a three hour and twenty minute film dealing detailing three days in the life of a widowed housewife. Mm-hmm. And it is my idea of hell. Like, I admit, I did not entirely concentrate on the film because I watched 40 minutes of it and was mm-hmm. like, I need to do something. So I start, I, I'm a knitter. I like knitting scarves. So I started knitting, which was an appropriate Thing to be doing while watching this film so i had to, i just i had to be doing something because it was shredding my nerves of like this oh. level of repetition is yeah. my idea of hell but 
I actually am eager to watch it again. I, it is beautiful. It is incredible. It might be a lot of cinema. The first hour is the hardest. After that, I was like, I, I remember I paused and just going like, you know, take a slash, uh, a, a pee for our international listeners, and uh, and and I was like, oh, there's only twenty tuition. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was like, there was only twenty minutes left, and I was like, shit, where'd the last two hours go? <laughs> only the first hour is the hardest, and like, Del- Delphine Zirik is incredible. It it like it is everything you read about this film being like one of the apexes of cinema and the essential C films is true. Please do not let the three hours and twenty minute time and the plot and everything like put you off it. But you do also need to give it a certain amount of dedication. Yeah. With or without knitting. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but I watched it and it was just incredible like i'm so glad that i've seen it and i regret all the days that i haven't seen it. i look forward to showing it to people and watching it again but the weirdest absolute weirdest thing was a t- like a week and a half later my we've been doing like uh my my partner she's been able to continue working from home with her job and my house is very large and her house is quite small with three people in it so she's been doing two weeks here two weeks at her home and so about a week and a half after i watched it she came over and she was like westworld season three's out i want to watch it but i also want to rewatch. all of it you've never seen it we're watching westworld and I'm like, yeah. okay yeah no i'm fine with that i'm i'm you know i, I love the the original film it was my, my dad used to like quote the trailer with the nothing can go wrong go wrong go wrong <laughs> all the time and I'm like, you know i'm down for it. let's do this and i'm watching westworld season one and being like the strangest thing about all of this lockdown is that Chantel Ackerman, Jean Dillman, and Westworld could be a double feature. <laughs> a very, very long double feature. A very, very long double feature. Have you seen West, Have you watched Westworld series? TV? We've got the first series on Blue and the others, of course, on streaming. I haven't done it yet because I've been actually doing the creative stuff much more than I've been watching stuff. It's actually... I'm, I'm glad that I didn't because my housemate did watch them as they came out and he hasn't done season three yet, but he went back and rewatched season two and it had been like two years since he watched season one. He was like, I have no idea what's going on <laughs> because season two does like the, I'm immediately, they all like, it's not like, Oh, six months later, it's like yeah. it ends and it starts. Um, and so I'm actually really glad that I, didn't because watching season one and two in like a one week period was the way to do it but it was like even just episode one of westworld was like oh yeah this is john dealman because you have these synthetic people in the world where it's you wake up you live your routine and then in that, in Westworld, they usually get murdered at some point by somebody and they're wiped and they restart. And the way that... that Which is a bit like Vin Diesel in Bloodshot. Yeah. I, 
I, I last year I was like, I, 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 I realized that life was too short, and so I just gave in and started listening to um, how did this film get made yeah. as my shortcut for watching the films. <laughs> Speak. That's a good segue for me. Yeah. I actually, I'll tell you, we'll finish off with the shit film that I saw yesterday. Well, I, I, if I just finish with, yeah. with, with the Westworld John Dealman thing, yeah. that I, 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 the, 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 the connection between the two was astounding. Like the, the, the repetition and the nightmare of it. Because yeah. like people talk about like, like Chantel Ackerman, like, oh my God, I, I, she didn't need to make a horror film because she'd made plenty of them. But it's the, 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 the Jean Dillman is like, if you're a horror person, like, oh man, we, we, we didn't address this, but I'm a hundred percent a horror person. I'm sitting in my house. I'm sitting in a lounge room that is my housemate's lounge room surrounded by evil dead and a hell of posters and toys and all sorts of things. So we, it's a cozy place. We, we, yeah, we are horror people. Jean Dillman is a horror film. Like a hundred percent is not is is very little. I mean, there's no murder. There's very little murder. But it's 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 the kind of film you're watching and you're it's you're waiting for the person to snap. Where every horror film gets to the point, John Dealman is everything about before the snap, and and then you watch like season two of Westworld is actually given. I, very ironically and funnily enough, given that it's the revolution aspect of it and there's a lot more m- straightforward murder and violence, season two of Westworld is chilled because season one is ah, nothing but post-traumatic stress disorder and Whoa. death and destruction and rape and violence. It's season one, like a, a friend of mine who is not so much into the things that I like, but I've corrupted her a bit over the years. As one does. As one does. She uh, uh, she w- watched season one with her partner and was like, yeah, I need to take a breather afterwards. And I was like, no, I totally get that. Like season one of Westworld is nightmare. Like, even having, as I said earlier, watched The Terror recently, like, The Terror, which is just, like, announces itself in the title, is not as traumatic as Westworld Season 1. Whoa. It is a solidly nightmarish uh, examination of what trauma is. And watching Chantal Ackerman's films, which, you know, she who was the first generation after um, the Holocaust, her parents, you know, she was a Jewish family and they fled from um, Germany or they fled from a Nazi-occupied country. And you can feel that in her films, that there's this kind of control after trauma. And that is what Westworld is about. She was from Poland. Yeah, Poland. Yeah, yeah, and they moved to Belgium. That's right. Mm. Um, and you can feel that there's this control after trauma. And watching Westworld, that's what it is, because they're controlling these synthetic beings who are forced to experience trauma constantly. Yeah. And I was like, 
this I, I, I'm, 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 I'm I messaged a friend of mine being like oh, I've been watching Westworld and he was like oh yeah it's fun but it's dumb and I was like dude you, you've been working for the government too long you need to like get back into your academic readings because they, they, yeah. they talk about the bicameral mind in it is one of the foundational aspects of it, which is the idea that you're you're the we developed our I, uh, I uh, like our consciousness through it first experiencing our eternal thoughts as God and, and grew from that. And while I was re- listening to that, I was like, this reminds me of something. And I went and dug out one of my, because I'm an academic fucking weirdo nerd, I dug out Martin Buber's I and Thou, which is like early 20th century Jewish theological philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat at the, the, the kitchen table while my partner was cooking dinner, and uh, and, and and we're both big cookers. We do it not a, we don't read us into that. Uh, uh, I love my fucking cooking's good. I love cooking up good feast. And I'm sitting there reading like philo- this the early 20th century Jewish theological philosophy tour of like. I and thou, I and I, all these different kind of like relationship ideas of how we experience the world. And I'm like, this is a character breakdown for Westworld. Like, there's absolutely no way Westworld is a dumb series when you go to like early 20th century Jewish theology and you find yeah. a character breakdown of all of the ways we interrelate with each other and the world and objects and things. And so like that was, I think, in in talking about this, like uh, what we've been doing in the pandemic, that experience of watching Chantal Ackerman films, which are so much about a our relationships, but also about the experience of time and how that actually affects us and what happens in that time, and then going to Westworld, which is very weirdly dealing with a lot of the same subjects it was like oh it, it, it was like you know there's so much talk about how television is, is doing so much more than cinema these days and i agree but it's still like a lot of it is like eh, it's still yeah we've done this before watching Chantel ackerman and then watching westworld was like oh, yeah, we can do this. Like, cinema and film and television and everything, it's just a culture that is still there, still pumping, still alive. And, you know, we started this out with you saying you miss going to the cinema. And I'm like, I laughed because... I don't. I I I love I love cinema. I worked at you know the Astor is the longest running single screen cinema in this hemisphere, and it's a beautiful Art Deco like. Maybe I just miss Choc Tops. That is a good point. They do deliver though, apparently somewhere. But okay, I'll keep that in mind. I think it's only like Village and Hoyts that are doing delivery, which means that the factory process bullshit. Toxops, not because you know Nova makes their own and Palace, and, their and so does the Astor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm actually like one of my proud moments. So then those things, I'm putting my hand on my chest now. Is that. The only thing I never did at the Nova was make choc tops. <laughs> we should say choc tops are chocolate coated ice creams. And now uh, in a cone, yeah. You, 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 you should Google that because uh, one of the choc top makers at Nova gained uh, international stardom briefly because he made Totoro choc tops, and he would spend oh, like nice. thirty to. 
30 minutes to an hour making each choc top and they like whoa they were they were incredible they were works well choc tops are an art form yeah oh this this guy was above and beyond but i i, I just like you know having that experience at home away from cinemas because i i I think I I do love cinemas, but I've just I feel so lost from them because I have gone off this deep end where it's disconnected, where it's like I think I've got a, I've got a totally different experience like because for me cinemas from my childhood were a sanctuary. Yeah. So I've got a, a totally different relationship to them than you do. So I'm going to get on now with well, my I, shit movie. I think my shit movie before you finish. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you make this longer than an hour and a half. I I think for me, like my sanctuary was the video store. So maybe that's okay. why I I. But you're a bit younger than me, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I didn't have that. Uh, just a smidge. Uh, the I've got. To, I'm, I'm getting there in the grey beard though. Uh, <laughs> Go for it, grow it. Just. just be out and proud. Yeah, mate. absolutely, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to going entirely white. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, I think that that was my sanctuary was the video store. So it's like even to this day, it's like, well, I'm still seeing it in better quality than I did when I was a kid if I'm watching it at home. But it, it we both had that 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 that, that film was the sanctuary. The film was the escape, and I, I think like I, you know, you've 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 taken a bit of a different path path to me that I, I i i went from hiding in video stores to working in cinemas and that did break me to a degree because of the things that are involved in running cinemas um but it's 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 it's, it's you know without getting too political it is that great irony that 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 one of the things that has absolutely ground to a halt is filmmaking and television in this pandemic but it is our sanctuary still it's what we're talking about here now i i actually haven't really talked about i've i've watched like 50 films in the last month and we've barely talked about them it's 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 what we got we can come back and do this whenever we i'm still unemployed for a while now so whenever you want mate but uh (laughs) no that's that's a date mate we'll do it it's 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 absolutely like you know whether you're whether you're watching on video whether you're watching on blu-ray whether you're watching on streaming like or a phone yeah this is our sanity like it it's just so essential and it's so part of who we are now and it's it's just it's just it it doesn't it it's it's almost like you know if, if, I, I don't i don't if we this is a kind of weird equivalent like the closest equivalence we can have is wartime for what we're in now we are fighting a kind of war my 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 um grandmother was english uh, is was english and lived through the blitz you know with in, in london boarding up the windows and hoarding and everything like that and so my mum was kind of even though she was born a bit afterwards she was kind of the same and so heading into this i was kind of always a little bit prepared for it because i think it's kind of in your dna when someone goes through that and it's only two generations ago and yeah, my grandfather was in New Guinea t- 
teaching Peter Finch how to steal food off an American. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because, uh, yeah, my 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 mum and dad lived in Papua New Guinea for two years in the 70s. Dad worked for AWA. And, uh, it, it, yeah, you, you kind of get that kind of like just like survival kind of instinct to you, which is maybe why I've coped, why this has not seemed so different to me. Yeah. But it's it's you have these things that keep you connected and keep you alive and, and even if the world feels like it's stopped and whether you choose to watch three and a half hour art films from Belgium or you're just like marathoning friends, it's still like visual or tourism movies. Or tourism films. It's like this visual culture is just like it's what powers us now and it's what keeps us connected and keeps us alive and keeps us talking on and on and arguing on Twitter or agreeing on Twitter or whatever. And it's just like, fuck man. I, I, there's times where I think, oh, I wish I could go back and tell myself not to study cinema at university because I've got like a near $30,000 fucking hex test. (laughs) And it has not ever really helped me get a job. But at the same time, it's like you watch Westworld and you go digging for early 20th century Jewish theology and go, wow. Like, yeah. This is this is this is everything. Cool. Okay, we're going to end on the low note, which is that movie I've foreshadowed. <laughs> times I saw the Rise of Skywalker on Disney Plus because I got it for the Marvel movies, which was a vulgar pleasure of mine. Hang on, wait. Where's my razor? I got to slash my wrists. <laughs> no, don't do that. Call Lifeline, mate. Please don't. Do um, the special effects are fantastic. Yeah. They are, no. they are super realistic. You know what I keep saying to my friend, my housemate, what? every time he says it looks really beautiful, I'm saying technical wizardry is not a plus anymore. <laughs> no, but the thing is that there are a number of adept, you know, adept technicians working on it. There's not a human being or an alien in the whole movie that acts like a human being or an alien. <laughs> it is basically... Uh, kind of Pied Piper trail of fan service where they play the pipes and they give people the beats they want and all of the people who were indoctrinated to the cult follow along. It is unashamedly horrible for that reason. It really does offer nothing new. It's every white person in the universe is related to every other white person in the universe. (laughs) It's it's one of those things where you, I watched it because I wanted to see the special effects and to see if it was as bad as I thought it was. And it is. Um, the acting is tradesman-like. Yeah. I hate J.J. Abrams. I just say that I hate, hate, hate J.J. Abrams. Yeah. And it's basically it's a quick tug from an arthritic hand. For the fans, <laughs> it's it's just that bad. That's, um, that's, I'm not gonna. That's the other, Go anywhere near that franchise again. That's the other t-shirt pull quote. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's it's basically a fan masturbation it, in a sense, it, and it's not even good. It's not even like a little quick smile on the face while they're tugging you. It's it's, oh, it's, I, it's um 
It's a cynical exercise. Can I, can I, can I, 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 with the prequels, when the prequels came out, I was living with a huge Star Wars nerd and I like hated, I, I, I look, okay. So I grew up on Star Wars as many people of my age did. I'm 37 now. So I was prime. I watched them a lot when I was a kid. I was at the midnight screening of Phantom Menace when it opened. <laughs> I remember all the people dressed up, and I remember the dead silence when it ended. <laughs> I remember everyone just leaving peacefully and quietly. <laughs> now, the weird thing is, I actually put on, you know, somebody said, what's your favourite Star Wars movie on some group or something? Yeah. And I said, the Hidden Fortress, all the other ones are shit. <laughs> and somebody went ballistic and did these, like, three-page-long screeds about how wonderful it was. Well, I think... And the whole movie. And I had to end up blocking the person because I was just going fucking mental. I, I, I wouldn't hate Star Wars as much if it wasn't for the fans. It's like... Yeah. All, I, I saw somebody tweet whether this, this, this recent, you know, May the 4th, being like, we don't... That it's a Star Wars day would be fine if it was a Star yeah. Wars day every fucking day of the year. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like it's like all those up. people that say, "When's Men's Day?" Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, like, I'm like, I, I, I have my cred. I've fucking been there. I've fucking done that. I am over it. I did, and I watched Attack of the Clones, and like, actually, you know how I watched Attack of the Clones was like two VCD, <laughs> in like low res, and it was still like, actually, you know what? In my mind, it kind of looks and remembers like an impressionistic Renoir painting, so it's probably better than it actually is. Uh, I do love that the recent sequels have made people go. The prequels weren't so bad. <laughs> but I, I just, like, didn't even do Revenge of the Sith. And when it finally came out on DVD back in the day, my housemate, as I said, was a massive Star Wars nerd. And I was like, I will watch it with you only on the condition that we can play a drinking game. And it was <laughs> like, okay, watch the drinking game. And I had heard that there was a lot of uh, dismemberment. So I was like, every time somebody loses a limb or Anakin pounce, pouts, mm -hmm. we have a shot. My <laughs> housemate was pissed weak and pulled out of the drinking game two shots in. I okay. continued and was absolutely shit-faced 20 minutes in. <laughs> Do not remember the next hour and only remember the last 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Basically, well, I mean, we've got to agree, Star Wars is like Hillsong for science fiction movie fans. Well, this is, I, 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 I only saw Force Awakens because I was working at the Astor when it was released, <laughs> and so I could see it for free, and my uh, very, very... My, my housemate slash adopted sister at the time and her family wanted to see it so we went and saw it for free at the Astor and I was watching it and being like this is garbage A yeah. and B what the fuck like mm. they see, this is where I was like look I'm going to show my Star Wars cred here that I'm not just a person who hates Star Wars that I have Star yeah. Wars cred because after Han 
dies and they get back to the planet and Leia runs up and hugs fucking what's-her-name mm, and Wookiee, yeah. like, Chewbacca just, like, walks past and it's like, excuse me? Like, yeah. Chewie and Leia have been through all of this stuff with Han and they don't even have a moment after Han's died and she's hugging yeah. fucking what's-her-name? Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, it's a bit. I once went to with my sister years ago. I went to a Pentecostal kind of revival thing. Yeah. And it's like I don't understand the attraction. And this is exa- watching a Star Wars movie is exactly like that for me. I don't understand the attraction and why are people getting excited about this weird shit. Ah, oh, it's because it's, it's easy. It's digestible. It has the all the it. But I watched The Hidden Fortress for the first time last year. I've never seen it. Which is based, which is what Star Wars yeah, the yeah, film yeah. is based on. And it's much more entertaining. The princess is tougher and feistier. The peasants who were what R2-D2 and C-3PO are based on yeah. have their own agency and actually come up with good ideas to help things. Yeah. They're, they're important to this kind of high-level royal fight between different kingdoms in Japan. And so they've got their own agency, even though they're greedy, amoral fuckwits. Yeah. Um, it's just such a more entertaining and layered action film. I, 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 I you know, Urban Kirstner gets so, I, I don't even want to say undervalued because no one talks about Urban Kirstner. No. And, or Lee Brackett, yeah, for that matter. Urban Kirstner has, like, he, he, I, I wonder if, Star Wars would be what it is if not for him, because we, you know, we, and Lee Brackett writing the script as well. Yeah, she'd been doing yeah, exactly. um, pulp things and science fiction since the forties. Yeah, and we like we we you know we keep going back to Sixth Sense as being the twist film, but it's like Empire Strikes Back is the twist film. Like it's the one that was like holy shit. Like, bah! Then, you know, and then, of course, George Lucas did his George Lucas thing and undermined it all by doing a prequel series that, if you watch them in order, undermines the twist altogether. But, uh, leaving that aside, my Star Wars nerd cred, um, <laughs> the, 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 Irvin Kersner, like, he, cause I, I'm, you know, my, my, like, I, I call it my, um, my patron saint film, Robocop. Because my dad accidentally took me to see Robocop when I was four years old in the cinemas. <laughs> and so it is like when I, I revisited it for the first time in since I was a teenager as an adult, I was like, oh, everything of my interests and passions is here. <laughs> yeah. Robocop 2 is excellent. It's it's it it's not Robocop like but it, yeah. it it's fucking excellent. And he did the same thing. With Robocop 2, that he did Empire Strikes Back. Like, he built and developed and excelled in a lot of areas. And so much of everything that came afterwards just undervalues that and undermines it. And it's not George Lucas and it's not Star Wars. It's so much about what happens in Empire Strikes Back. And it's... It's like I laugh because, like I said, I hated Force Awakens. I I hate J.J. Abrams. I hate nostalgia cinema. 
I hate nostalgia cinema. I we if you want me to rant about Spielberg for a while, <laughs> I won't. No, we'll do because, that another time. I promise. No, because I'd have to go back and rewatch them. I'll just talk about how the last. 20 minutes of my Norodu report is everything you need to know about why Spielberg is a god-awful piece of shit. <laughs> why is there a red tractor on the island? Ah! Oh! And that is not even, like, taking into account how he rapes. The story is based on, and I do not use that word like that. Um, that I hate nostalgia, and all these films are just pure nostalgia and that's why i hated boss awakens and then when ryan johnson i was like no no ryan johnson <laughs> make something we're interested in do 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 he your own thing. Out. he made uh, knives uh, out as a cure for that shit can i say how much i hated knives out did you i really didn't like it you know what knives out is to me it's christine what? you know like john carpenter did the thing which yep. is possibly his greatest film, and everyone shit on it and tore it apart, and it caused him hell, and so he makes Christine. And Christine yeah. is, there are good things in Christine, but it yep. is safe. It's adapting Stephen King when he was at the height of his popularity, and it does yep. nothing interesting. That's okay. what Knives Out is. It is a total 100%. You had a hit film that was also not a hit film. You, you, no, sorry, you had a film that was absolutely you doing something unique and different and going against the grain and everyone hated it. And so you come back with something safe and easy and reliable. And that's, yeah, but I kind of like that. I, I like the, you know, I like the ensemble. I like the going back to the drawing room things and totally deconstructing them. There's, just, there's more of it to there than. I I only watched it like a, a couple of weeks ago. Was when I first saw it, and I'd heard so much about it, and I just yeah. like, I I you know I I, I as I said earlier, my my mum was you know I'm, I'm first generation Australian. My mum was born in England. I was raised on we do not watch anything else on Saturday night but the Bill. Um, you know I can pronounce Target no, properly. No. For me, you know, seeing things like Daniel Craig singing Stephen Sondheim kind of worked. I I I I get that, but because because. Uh, my partner, we watched it together, and she hadn't seen much Ryan Johnson other than uh, The Last Jedi and then Knives Out. And we watched Brothers... I was like, you need to watch Brothers Bloom. So, like, a week later, we watched Brothers Bloom. And I know, like, Brothers Bloom is an odd one. Like, when I first watched it, I was like, okay, yeah. And I've watched it, I think, now four times. And I said to her, I would watch this on my deathbed. Like, yeah. there's not... I mean, even the films that are in my top ten, I wouldn't watch on my deathbed because my interest in them is different. But Brothers Bloom is a deathbed film for me. And her response to that was, like, you'd watch a film on your deathbed? 
oh wait yeah no you definitely would <laughs> but uh, watching brothers bloom was like no this this is a deathbed film like this is this is like if this is the last film you ever watch that's fine like it's that kind of film and watching knives out was like this is all you did like yeah. you didn't even commit to your red herrings like you committed to the jumpers more than you did to anything that actually happens in the film. Though, to and, be fair, they were quite good jumpers. Well, you know, I <laughs> I know I'm going to be really, really, like, you know, controversial here, but we watched Ravenous the next day, and Ravenous is actually in my top five films ever. If you if you ever want to get on and talk about Ravenous, I am here for <laughs> Ravenous. I I wrote my thesis on cannibalism, so I can talk about Ravenous for like a day. And we watch Ravenous the next. Well, cannibalism leaves a bad taste in my mouth, so yeah. Oh, it's even most people, but you know, it's, <laughs> you, you just haven't used the right spices, man. Um. We, we yeah, watched, you got to cook the fuckers longer. Yeah. <laughs> we we watched Ravenous like a day or two afterwards, and I'm like, Guy Pierce's ratty fucking jumper in Ravenous is better than any fucking jumper in Knives Out, and you can take that to the bank, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I'm going to leave it then because I've got stuff to do. Listen, mate, thanks for coming on and just shooting the shit about movies for a... Uh, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been long. <laughs> yeah, we've got to do this again. We'll just kind of get together and, and shoot the shit about movies, and people will listen to it, hopefully. Ah, uh, hopefully. And, you know, maybe even one day we might even actually get to, like, shake hands. <laughs> oh, no. We, yeah, we'll, we'll actually we'll do we FaceTime when, when we can do that. Do we? We'll socially distance and bump elbows. <laughs> No, it's been great, Terry. Let me know whenever you want to have me on. You can tell that I can uh, talk shit for hours without ever getting to a point. <laughs> no, that's all good, yeah. I mean, I had to bring you around a couple of times, but that's the nature of the business. <laughs> anyway, mate, look after yourself. Stay safe. Yep, you too, man. And uh, to all our listeners, like, branch out. Watch something different. Explore the weird. Hit YouTube yeah. and watch something that has subtitles and nobody's ever seen. <laughs> watch some Chantal Ackerman or some Ozu or even a Torosan movie. Absolutely. Okay, thanks a lot for that, mate. I appreciate it. No, it's been great. If you survived this long, congratulations, by the way. Um, Yeah, that was Ben and I just kind of un- depressurizing from our confinement and our social distancing so um yeah we just wandered around and did a lot of stuff about movies anyway i'm going to leave you of course with the credits to the podcast to one of the people who supported us via patreon and then i'm going to play another piece of music at the end of that so take care of yourselves i'll be back soon with another one catch you later here are the credits for paleo cinema podcast and martian driving podcast done in a style of movie credits to honor the people who support this podcast thank you to tom the focus puller sarah the special effects technician ian the caterer grant the technicolor consultant claire the script doctor gary the prop master morris the musical director jan the dialect coach arm and our key grip matt the rattlesnake wrangler elaine our scientific advisor julia our casting director Chris, our camera operator, Christopher, our gaffer, Miss Jane, our wardrobe mistress, Tansy, our foley artist, Alyssa, our location scout, 
Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, the donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H, our set photographer. Mark D, our extra and David L, our extra. Kerry H, who is the accountant. And our newest supporter, Gary J, who is a CG effects technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. I really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast. No, me dégale pas I danced all night I drank 16 beers and started up a fight First now I'm cheated You're out of luck I'm rolling down the stairs too drunk to fuck